Well, here we are. Um, we're continuing in on our series on um, being refreshed, starting this idea with refreshing ourselves as we start and launch ourselves into 2024. Let me pray and then we'll jump into it a bit more. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you so much for um, what you have done. Lord, we stand here as a people um, that are shaped and formed by the gifts you have given to us, Lord, the gift of your grace, the gift of salvation, Lord, and the gift of your spirit, and the way it continues to shape and change all of us. Lord, we pray this morning that your spirit might be amongst us as we come before you and we come before your word. Lord, we pray that you might have a word that speaks to all of our hearts, wherever we might be with you right now. And Lord, we just pray um, that my words might be of you and that through them you might use them for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, we just thank you for this and we pray this now in your son's name. Amen. Well, today, it's going to be a good day, isn't it? I've, uh, it already is and it will continue to be. Yeah. Um, I hope you're expectant today. I am. You may have gathered what we're going to talk about this morning is uh, baptism, right? One of the earliest traditions of our church and one of the ones which has, in a lot of ways, shaped the church right from the very beginning. Now, over the centuries, lots of different people from lots of different walks of life had have different thoughts about baptism, about um, what it's about, about how you should practice it. Um, many a different churches and denominations have split off and started because of their different thoughts about baptism. Um, not too surprisingly, the Baptists, they've got a few thoughts about baptism. Um, and, you know, all around the world, different groups do it differently. Look, at you know, there's some, uh, this one I really like, it's the Georgian Orthodox. I mean, you know, you know, when you're, when you're, a, when you're a baby, it's, it's hard to remember, but you'll remember this, won't you? You're, it's half baptism, half trauma, I think, is kind of the idea. Like, is, it, is this mum over here? I think it's this one. And the mum's like, are you okay? Oh. Poor baby. Anyway. Do you what do you think, guys? Should we give that one a go? We might need a we might need a slightly bigger font. I don't want to knock any babies' heads on the anyway. Um, lots of different ways over the years people have thought about it and performed and acted and all this kind of stuff. So uh, last week Simon did a, uh, gave us a great word when kind of laid the table for us to start thinking about how our church understands and thinks about baptism. Um, and today what we wanted to do was have a look at how it was done right at the start, how it was done in Acts by the apostles. So we're going to look at that passage you just read and we're also going to skip around a little bit to pick, and pick some bits and pieces out of Acts to get a bit of a feel for how it is um, at the very beginning baptism was thought about and was practised. Let's have a look. Uh, verse 1. Uh, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. He found some disciples there. So Paul, in his missionary travels, is kind of going off the beaten track through the inland. It's kind of, you often would travel either coastal or by boat. So he's kind of off the beaten track. He's in a bit of a remote area, perhaps an area where news doesn't travel very fast. You know, if you're in one of these port cities, 
um, like a Corinth, you're going to get all the news because people are coming from the east to the west of the empire and you're going to hear what's happening. But if you're in with some of these off the beaten track places, you might not hear about what's happening in the world for quite some time. And he finds these disciples, 12 in all. Very biblical number, isn't it? Now, Paul describes them as disciples, but it's a bit unclear exactly what it is they're disciples of. Um, and that's a, a bit of a cause of discussion amongst the academics. Um, Paul gives this implication that they're Christians, but we later find out that they haven't heard about the Holy Spirit at all. Um, perhaps they hadn't even heard about Jesus. They might not have even got to that point. They were followers of John the Baptist, and we assume they're followers of the teachings of John the Baptist, which would kind of led them to the point of waiting for the Messiah, but not sure perhaps even if they'd heard the name of the Messiah that is to come. Whatever the case is, there's these, these kind of funny group of believers that Paul bumps into, and uh, they're missing something that's very important. Let's have a look. Verse 2, uh, Paul asks them, did you see the Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard the Spirit. So Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? John's, they reply. So they've got as far as John. They've got as far as waiting for the Messiah and this baptism of repentance. Um, Simon talked about last week this idea of baptism being this um, important opportunity for repentance. And uh, they've got to that kind of point, this baptism of John, this baptism of, of repentance. Paul sees that his task now is quite clear. He says, verse 5, On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. They had had a baptism but they'd missed a vital part of their baptism. They had missed out on the pouring out of the Spirit. They'd been baptised, but not baptised in the Spirit. Now, over the, uh, the centuries, this passage has been used to push some different ideas uh, about baptism. One of them is this idea of the second blessing of the Spirit, the idea that it's like, you know, you're not really a Christian unless you're speaking in tongues or you have the gift of prophecy or one of these um, quite outward gifts. Uh, and when the United Church came together, when Union in 77, um, this was one of those topics. It was like, what do we think about baptism? What do we think about the idea of the second blessing of the Spirit? Because that was some of the stuff that was being bandied around. And I'm sure it would have led to some heated debates. Um, now, me personally, I, you know, I, I, I think it's quite clear in the Bible that you don't need to be able to speak in tongues. You don't need to have the gift of prophecy. These are a gift for some, not for all. Um, but I would say this is that it seems clear in the Bible that there is a strong connection with the work of the Spirit and with baptism. Particularly in the book of Acts, you see time and time again that the Spirit and baptism are these two things that go hand in hand. It's one of the main themes of the, the book, and we can actually see this from the very, very start. Uh, here, if you have a look, this is at the start of Acts. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 5. This is the words of Jesus before he ascends into the heavens. Jesus says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
He's talking about the, the Pentecost experience that they're all about to have. And Jesus at the very start of the book of Acts kind of foreshadows or sets up um, what is to come with this baptism of the Spirit. Uh, and this baptism of the Spirit is going to be the very thing that will define their entire ministry. And in fact, it will be the thing that will define the rest of their lives. This baptism in the Spirit will be this thing that changes them as they go out and continue to baptize others in the Spirit. Then after Pentecost happens uh, and the Spirit arrives on them and there's the blowing of the wind and the little flames on the head and they're all speaking different languages, um, Peter gives this long sermon in chapter 2 and then at the end of them, they kind of ask him, well, what should we do now after we've heard this long sermon? And Peter says in chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the start of Acts that sets the scene for all that is to come. All that is to come, and it covers a, a, a long span of time, Acts, um, over all the missionary travels of the disciples and later of Paul, um, Saul who turns into Paul. <clears throat> and we see time and time again, that this link between the spirit and baptism just is so important in the early church and in the way that baptism is understood. Uh, sometimes it works differently. Sometimes you get the spirit and then baptism. Sometimes you get baptism and then later you get the spirit. We can see that in a few different examples. Like one good example um, was with the, uh, the Roman centurion called Cornelius. Peter gets called to his house because they've heard the gospel and they're responding. He goes there to baptize them. But when he gets there, they're already speaking in the Spirit. They already have all these gifts of the Holy Spirit and he sees that the Spirit is upon them. He wasn't so sure whether he should baptize them in the first place because they're Gentiles. But when he gets there, he sees all this and he says, this is in 1047, surely no one can stand in the way of being of their being baptized with water. They've received the Spirit just as we have. The Spirit got there before he did. He was on the way, but the Spirit had already arrived. And partly what he learns is, oh yeah, the baptism in the Spirit, it's not a gift of man. It's not me. It's not like God is waiting on me to bring the water so that he can give the Spirit. He can do that himself. But after he arrived and saw them um, powerfully moved by the Spirit, he brings the water. He, he gives them the baptism, uh, although the Spirit has already arrived. And sometimes the opposite happens. The baptism arrives first and then the Spirit arrives later. We saw that a little bit in, in um, our passage today. Uh, you see it also in, in Acts uh, chapter 8, um, a bit earlier in the story. When Peter and John arrive in Samaria, there are people who have accepted the gospel and who have been baptized. But when they get there, they realize um, that they have been baptized but haven't received the Spirit. So this is, this is chapter 8, 16. Um, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they laid hands and they prayed on them and the Spirit comes upon them. Sometimes it's baptism, then Spirit. Sometimes it's Spirit, then baptism. But what you see time and time again throughout Acts is the importance of these two things. They go hand in hand, right? Uh, you, you cannot have one without the other, it would seem, in the book of Acts and through the works of the apostles. And I think that's a really important point for us to think about and us to absorb as we understand how we are going to be baptised believers in the Lord. 
Simon last week uh, shared his experience of baptism. If you weren't here to hear it, um, it was it was a very interesting experience, um, very dry, perhaps in all senses of the word, <laughs> um, quite formal, just a little dab of water, as Simon was saying. He was given a little handkerchief to, to dab it straight away because you don't want to get any I don't know, water on your shirt or something. And, um, you know, a lot of formal liturgy. It didn't sound particularly spirit-filled. You can talk to Simon about later. I don't want to speak for, on his behalf. Um, but I'd like to tell you about my baptism experience, of course, but I can't really remember it. You know, obviously it wasn't these ones because I probably would, I'd probably remember that. Like, uh, you know, trauma can have a way of, you know, being easily remembered. But um, I can't remember my baptism experience. You know, that was one of the things at college when we were talking about baptism. I'd always Wind, oh, my parents had my baptism because I wasn't, you know, I was too little to remember it. Um, but I can remember my confirmation. And my confirmation when I was 15-ish, around that age, um, it comprised mostly of a six-week course in Reformed Theology 101. So that's how I remember my baptism confirmation experience as like a six-week course. And then, you know, the night came and we had night service and we got up and we read some liturgy and, and um, we sat down. I got a pen though. So that was, I did actually, it was a really nice pen. I did use that for, for quite some time. So that was, that was a win. But as I look at the, the experience of the apostles and what I read in Acts, and I think about perhaps um, some of the experiences that, that I've had, and as Simon, Simon shared his, and perhaps you have had similar ones, um, I do shake my head a little bit. And I think, man, it didn't feel a whole lot like an experience of the Spirit, of the pouring out of the Spirit. Somewhere along the line, we've kind of lost our way a little bit in the, um, in the Protestant churches, when baptism somehow has become more about like administration or bureaucracy than it has about the Spirit. Like it's more about doing the course and filling out the paperwork than it has been about experiencing the pouring out of the Spirit. And as I read the Word of God, I think to myself, we've, we've lost something here. We've really misplaced the, the, the important crux of what baptism is about. The Spirit being poured out on us. And this is something that we need to not lose as God's people when we're thinking about what it is to come before him in baptism. Years ago, I was on a conference um, and there was an elective on prophecy and um, the, the Pentecostals were running it, which I was like, great, the Pentecostals, they, they do that sort of stuff really well. Uh, and it was great. We went in and had this um, conversation. They shared about their experiences of prophecy and the gift of prophecy. And at the end of it anyway, they said, everyone give it a go. And I'm always up for that. I'm like, oh, great. It's kind of like a muscle sometimes. You need to, you need to practice a little bit. You need to work out. So um, that was like some quiet space. And I had a pen, some paper, and just, you know, um, see if God would give a word. So that's, I just sat there and I just was just listening to see if I got a word from God. And then what I got was the image of um, a desert. And in the desert was a sponge. So I was drawing it down and I was thinking about it and praying about it. And then what I took from this image was that sometimes for me, church can feel a little bit like that desert, can feel just a little bit spiritually dry. And I don't mean our gatherings per se, 
but all of the different levels of church that, that I'm involved in and all the different parts. And sometimes I feel like it really is a desert. You know, I'm really dry in the desert. But what I got from that image was God was telling me that I need to be a sponge that soaks up every drop of the Spirit when it's there. I need to not just be content with the dryness, but I need to be someone that is actively seeking to soak up the Spirit when it is there. Uh, and, and as I saw that as a message for me on that time, I also see that as a message for us, that perhaps sometimes you're feeling a little bit like that. Perhaps you're feeling a little bit like you're in the desert and life's just a little bit spiritually dry. And all of the things of the day to day and the week to week, it kind of can just wear you down a little bit. And you sit back and you just, at the end of it, feeling a little bit dry. Well, what should we do about it? I think we're being called to be that sponge and soak up every opportunity to soak that spirit in. Not just to be content with the dryness of our life, but to soak in every opportunity we have. You know, the call to action today is really simple, isn't it? The call to action from this passage that we've read and what we've been working towards this month is really simple. We're calling you to refresh your faith in 2024. We're calling you to seek the Spirit of God more in your life. To not sit back, but to actively seek the Spirit of God. You know, I think sometimes this is where our tradition um, can get it a bit wrong. We're not so good at encouraging people to seek the Spirit. Maybe it's our culture or our British heritage or something. I don't know what it is exactly. Um, but we're not so good at being people that seek the Spirit. But we need to do something about that. This afternoon, there's going to be an opportunity, as you all know, for those that are hungry to get a bit wet, hey? And I want them to get a bit wet in more ways than one. I want them to not only uh, get in the water and get a bit wet, but I want them to actually soak in the Spirit of God. That's, that's what we're about, isn't it? As God's people, as we gather here together, is that not what we're here to do? To soak in the Spirit of God? To encourage each other as we do that? To be encouraged by each other as we are all travellers together, trying to seek more of the Word of God and more of His Spirit in our lives, more of His leading? Sometimes in the church, there's nothing that frustrates me more than talking about a thing and then not doing it, you know? Like, oh, we talk about this thing, oh, that's a good thing. Maybe we should do it, hey, instead of just talking about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Our encouragement, of course, is to come this afternoon, but we have a time now and we have a space now. We have an opportunity right now to soak in a bit of the presence of the Lord, to soak in the Spirit. Band, if you guys want to come up, we've got a couple of songs at the end. We're going to give you a bit more opportunity, a bit more time, a bit more space to soak in the Spirit. And perhaps if you're, if you're ready to go along this afternoon, let this kind of be the opening act, you know. Let, let's prepare our hearts a little bit more to, to meet more of the presence of God today, uh, to, to publicly confess, to stand and be baptised, to reaffirm those baptismal promises that have been held for years gone by, 
to reaffirm them, bring them to life. There's space down the front, there's space around the sides. You, you do whatever it is that you do that's going to work for you. But I want to encourage you in this uh, next couple of songs to really seek the presence of God. Simon, do you mind leading us in, in a quick prayer?